0: Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Kevin M. Yates, who's an expert in learning data and metrics and the fact finder for L&D. In this episode, we discuss all things measurement from both a philosophical as well as a very practical perspective. But before we start, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do take the time to give us a rating on your podcast app of choice. It'll help others find us too. Thank you. So let's get into it. Kevin, welcome to the Learning and Development podcast. Hello, David. Thank you. I'm I'm
1: really excited to talk to you today.
0: Now, Kevin, for anybody in our profession who spends any time on LinkedIn, they're going to recognize you as Mr Learning Metrics. You have a profile built on the unsexy side of our profession. Now, while so many of our peers are drawn to the front of the classroom or towards making appealing stuff, you seem drawn to the data. And I think it will be remiss of me not to ask you why.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question, David. And, and it comes from my journey in the LD profession. And so I've been in the learning and development profession now for upwards of 20 years um, in measurement and data and facts and evidence is not where I I started. Uh, I started a little over 20 years ago uh, in a role that was facilitation, right? So just day-to-day training uh, at a small bank uh, on the uh, south side of Chicago. Um, And in that role, I was responsible for providing uh, facilitation and training for bankware applications and customer service. And so there was a progression in my career from that role. So, you know, from, from that role, I was uh, in another role after that for instructional design and then curriculum development, uh, and then learning solutions and learning technology, learning administration, <laughs> learning operations. Um, so there's just been this progression in my career over 20 years of having worn many hats. And so, to your question, how did I get to data? Well, it's interesting, David, because after, oh, maybe 15 or so years, I stopped in my career because I was a little bored, uh, to be quite honest with you. I had worn almost every hat that you can wear uh, in learning and development. And I stopped and asked myself, what difference has it all made? Uh, Where has the work that I've done really made a difference in people's performance um, and in business impact, and I couldn't answer that question. To be quite honest with mm-hmm. you, you know, certainly I had delivered many courses, designed many courses, and again had served in many roles, but I had no evidence for the extent to which my life's work had made a difference. And it was around about that time that I met uh, Patty Phillips with the ROI Institute. Um and she and her husband Jack Phillips, with the RI Institute, <laughs> have a methodology by which they measure the impact of learning, uh, and they use data and metrics to do that. And it was an epiphany for me uh, because it was the first that I had heard of measuring the impact of learning from a behavioral perspective, from a performance perspective. Um, up until that point, I had only heard and it had only used measurement to, count how many people had been trained or how many courses or how many hours. So the transition for me, David, um, to data is the result of me having spent years in the L&D profession um, and then hitting a brick wall, if you will, to the point where I was thinking about leaving the profession because I was bored and couldn't answer the question, what difference has my life's work made? Um, And then that moment was pivotal when I learned that you can measure the impact of training, you can show results, you can show how behavior has changed or performance has changed. So it was at that moment, that pivotal moment in my career, David, that I decided to devote the rest of my career in data, analytics, measurement, and metrics for learning and development. Did did that answer your question?
0: Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. And a couple of things really struck me there. Number one is that, it seems you started on the well-trodden path of learning and development, building out the the, uh, the the toolkit and your skills, like many of us do via the classroom, focusing on facilitation, broadening into design and, and all of that stuff. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a story that I hear so often and, and mirrors mine. Um, mm. And then the second part was that where you're questioning yourself and wondering whether this is for you because you're not seeing the impact is something I'm hearing more and more, especially at a senior level in learning and development, where there is this part paranoia, part anxiety that what we're doing doesn't seem to be getting results beyond that um, you know in a a classroom we've all been there Mm -hmm. you you see people getting a concept you see them looking at you and nodding and having those aha moments and you're thinking yeah I'm really making a difference and then the the happy sheets back that up you're getting eights nines and tens and you're thinking I'm making a big difference but when you're then leading functions and you're seeing that your trainers, your facilitators, and your team are getting comparable results to you, but that's not then relating to any kind of business performance, capability, right. change, or results, and wondering whether this is really making a difference. So so it, it seems like a, 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 very, a very common set of experiences, mm-hmm. which, of course, have led you to, to quite a unique path. And leads me on nicely to my next question, because, the effectiveness of L and D is a hot and broad topic in the in the profession right now, where you and I lurk on social yeah, media certainly, yeah. and it's and it is a point of anxiety as I've mentioned. Now, why do you think this is?
1: Yeah, I think that there's been a transition over the years for the expectation for what learning and development is, uh, and and what a result is for learning and development. So. If we go back, gosh, 30, 40 years ago, uh, I believe that the expectations were very different then than that which they are now. Um, Right now, uh, today, 2019, on the edge of 2020, (laughs) the expectation is that people will use their performance in a way that helps the business win or the organization win. Um, for however it is that organization or business defines winning. Uh, 30 or 40 years ago, I don't know that there was that focus on performance in that context. So when we think about what training was 30 to 40 years ago and what learning and development is now um, in this year, um, it's very different. And so because it's different, expectations are different, Um, And levels of accountability or ways in which learning and development organizations are being held accountable is very different. So we are expected now to impact people's performance in a very measurable way, whereas 30 to 40 years ago, I don't know that there was that expectation. So 30 to 40 years ago, evidence for impact was a learning evaluation that showed that people had a really good time. Or <laughs> it was a spreadsheet that showed how many people were trained and how many courses were offered. Uh, that won't cut it today. Uh, right now, we're expected to produce tangible evidence that shows the extent to which learning is changing people's performance and behavior and actions in a way that helps them help the business win. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it completely does. I think we see this in any organization that's been around and had an established learning and development function for a period of time making this pivot. But the the strange contradiction seems to me, Kevin, is that whenever there is an L&D present, the genesis of L&D in any organization is the provision administration of training. So it's almost as if that's what's expected by an organization. That's the seed that's planted. Then administrators and trainers are brought in in order to uh, maintain and establish mm-hmm. that. So we keep we keep making the same mistakes and it's almost as if the, uh, you know, you say in 30, 40 years ago, but the expectation of less mature organizations is that L&D still looks and smells like school in some kind of way, either <laughs> in person or online. Yeah. And that, that seems to create an anxiety because if what you're doing, if the expectation is that you're providing learning content and experiences how how do you measure that it's kind of it's it's almost as if the the fact that it's there is the success and then you just need the administration and the maintenance in order to to run Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. is that is that something you see it is and and you're touching
1: on something there um that i believe it's important for us to talk about i think that there's an essence there, David, for what you're talking about around the extent to which we're continuing to do what we've always done. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I think that one of the reasons that there is a, a slow shift to the idea that we can measure results is because it's difficult to do. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I just like to be honest, open and transparent about that. Um, it is hard work. Um, It can be frustrating work, um, but it can also be very rewarding um, and it can be done. Uh, My mantra uh, and my my mindset when I am thinking about measuring impact for learning is that difficult work does not mean impossible work. So in other words, Mm. it may not be easy, but that does not mean that it's not possible. So kind of going back to your point around not seeing that shift um, even 30 to 40 years later, I think it's because measuring results, measuring impact is the hard work. Um, And Mm -hmm. when it comes to transitioning to what's a little uncomfortable versus what we've always done, um, we're always going to go back to what we've always done because that's the familiar place. Um, the unfamiliar place is this whole idea that there should be a measurable result as a result of our efforts um, and what we're producing and what we're creating. So the the shift is slow. Um, and, and I think that the slow shift, the, sh- the slow movement toward a measurement mindset really has a lot to do with the fact that it's unfamiliar territory and um, that it's not always easy does, does that make sense and, and does it answer your question
0: yeah it does it does completely and and do you think that part of the problem kevin is that we often jump to when i say we lnd jump to solution too quickly and deliver a program or content before fully understanding the problem yeah,
1: absolutely david and, and i think that what what we have to do a better job at is having different kinds of conversations so that we can get the information we need to create learning solutions and learning experiences with measurable impact. So if we're going to do that, um, the conversation can't start with, we need training. What training do we need? Uh, Because then we too quickly jump to the conclusion that there's a learning solution or a learning experience that will solve the problem, um, help the uh, opportunity, Uh, change the condition. Um, So there needs to be a mindset of, I I call it the measurement mindset, or the uh, mindset of measurement. There needs to be that mindset of measurement that says, I want to discover first, what is the condition in the organization of the business? And then I want to be clear about what the goal is in response to that condition And then I want to be able to be clear about the performance requirements or the capability expectations that people need in order to achieve that business goal, um, to address that condition. And if you're clear about those three things first, David, you have an opportunity to do one of two things. You'll either discover that a learning solution or a learning experience is not the solution, or you will discover that it is. And if you've discovered that it is, you will have already aligned that learning solution to a business goal, to a performance requirement, and to a business condition. So if you approach it first with the mindset that I want to be clear about the condition, the goal and response to that condition, and the performance requirements to achieve that goal, you'll then be better able to determine where you need to focus on learning or where you don't does that make sense
0: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely Uh, now kevin the the pivot or the rebranding a decade couple of decades ago from the training department to the learning department was an odd one in my in my opinion Mm -hmm. especially as the measures remained largely the same attendance completion satisfaction and so on none of which actually measure learning is this an indication that we've been focusing on and measuring the wrong things?
1: Yeah, that's another, you, you're, you're getting some good questions in today. <laughs> um, I <laughs> am often asked about where is there a place for what we've historically measured? And, and so when I talk about what we've historically measured, what I'm talking about are those metrics that show how many people we've trained in a certain amount of time how many courses we've offered, how many hours of training have been completed. Uh, Those are the things that we've measured uh, historically. And and I would say that those have been our bread and butter. Mm. I think that where we've missed the opportunity is stopping at that. So we stopped at how many people like the course, uh, how many courses have we offered, and how many hours have we offered. That's where we stopped. I believe that those metrics and measures tell a story. Uh, Those metrics and measures tell a story about the operational efficiency of learning and development as a function. But we can't Mm. stop at the story of operational efficiency. Um, We need to then talk about the story of outcomes and impact. So yes, we are seeing where people are con- and, and organizations, L&D organizations are continuing to use those metrics. And I think that that's okay. What's not okay is when the story ends at operational metrics, because they don't tell stories of impact. Uh, and they don't tell stories about how learning and development solutions are changing people's behavior, performance and actions. So you're, you're absolutely right, you know, with that transition of the branding, of our uh of our profession from you know training to learning um, we've still carried forward into that transition those traditional metrics Um, and again it's okay to carry them forward but we need to carry them forward in the right context and they need to be part of the story of of impact and not the story of impact
0: that's I, i really like the the way that you're bringing story into this and of course i think that it's uh it's because of the level of sophistication and your experience in data that you're taking it to story where I think that that those of us who aren't as comfortable with data still see this as a set of numbers and perhaps mm-hmm. something scary mm-hmm. and, and a rock that we don't want to lift up and see what's underneath just in case it scares us. Um, but but I like this, which leads me on to my next question, because I'd, I'd love to know more about your approach to data and measurement, and perhaps some examples where we can relate to this in real life. Perhaps some initiatives that that we're all familiar with, whether that be induction or new manager training, or you know anything anything that springs to mind. So, kind of your approach laced with examples would be would be great. Yeah,
1: and and I'll share with you my approach, and I'm gonna in doing so, David, I'm gonna connect on to a point that you just made about the scariness of data and numbers. Um, so, my background. Um, in terms of academic preparation and experience is education um, and learning. Uh, And so my background is not statistics. Uh, My background is not data analytics. (laughs) My background is not metrics. Um, But I I believe, David, that what has driven me forward uh, in the space in which I work now um, is curiosity. Um, And the curiosity is, are we impacting with our learning and learning solutions and learning experiences are we impacting people's behavior performance and actions and are we subsequently impacting uh, business goals when we do that Um, so when i think about my method which uh, was your question my Mm -hmm. method stems from curiosity uh, not necessarily from having had a long career in statistics or analytics Um, But it really stems from being curious. And so with my method being fully rooted in curiosity, um, what I'm looking at really goes back to what I just talked about a little earlier um, in terms of my method. Um, So my first method is to be very clear about organization goals first um, and performance requirements to achieve those goals um, and then being very clear about the extent to which learning solutions and learning experiences are going to help people um, use their performance in a way that helps them achieve business goals, or organization goals, or not. Because sometimes the reality is that learning is not the answer. So when I'm when I'm very clear about that, um, and I know that learning is the answer, uh, I can then go on this journey of collecting the facts, the evidence, and the data that will ultimately show the extent to which learning has changed behavior and and whether or not that change of behavior has, has impacted a business goal or an organization goal. So I'm starting at the top and I'm looking at a business goal or an organization goal metric. So what's the target measure, right? When I'm clear about the target measure, I'm then taking a look at metrics and measures that show business performance to business goal so there are metrics that will show how the business is operating and how the business is performing and whether or not there is movement um, to the target goal and then David I'm taking a look at measures and metrics that show workforce performance and that will show people movement to goal right? So it's a combination of workforce analytics, uh, workforce metrics, workforce performance metrics, um, business performance metrics, and then uh, target to go, which is the, the business goal. Now here's what's important. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing all of that by myself. Um, I couldn't do that by myself. I am partnering with embedded experts and organizations um, that have that data, that have those metrics, because learning and development doesn't own that data and doesn't own those metrics. Um, and isn't it interesting, David, that I didn't talk about uh, learning metrics at all here? Well, here's the reality. Mm. Um, business performance metrics, uh, workforce performance metrics is learning data. And so <laughs> um, it's, it's critically important for L&D the learning development team to establish relationships and partnerships with other parts of the business who own those metrics so that we can then be better equipped to uh, extract those metrics and use them as part of the story that we tell. Um, so there are areas of expertise on workforce analytics teams. Uh, there are areas of expertise on business performance uh teams who, who have those metrics. So what I'm doing is really working with those teams to help me find the facts, the evidence and the data for the story that I'm trying to tell about impact. Um, so, so that is essentially my, my, my process. You know, It's a process that is heavily rooted in curiosity um, and it's a process that is heavy, heavily rooted in relationships. Um, and those relationships mm-hmm. are critical because the facts, the evidence and the data that we need to tell our story about impact doesn't sit in L&D. Um, it sits in other parts of the business. Th- does that make sense?
0: Yeah, Well, if I can just ask to, uh, to clarify then, it seems that you're starting with what the organization and people are trying to achieve right at the outset, you're talking about organizational goals, whether that be the, the macro goals of an organization, perhaps if it comes down, perhaps even more likely, uh, functional or departmental goals. So what is it that, that groups of people are trying to achieve? And then looking at um, the perhaps the gaps in performance and capability that are limiting people's full capacity to achieve those. So you're starting with the, the business metric as you mentioned before the the KPIs the things that matter most to the business so you're always defining those before you then go and investigate trying to you know what what is it that it's that's trying to be achieved and then you're looking for the data from your partners elsewhere from uh, whether they be in business information whether they sit within the business themselves in order to understand what your what the data actually mm-hmm. says are there any critical points of failure um are there uh, are we not reaching the results that we want to um what would then success look like because what i liked with what you were saying is that you're you're looking at progress towards the goal not necessarily just the achievement whereas so much of return on investment and the conversations about evaluation are was this successful trying trying to determine this 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 one point. Whereas what I what I'm taking from what you're saying is that you're using organisation, organisational goals and priorities for the organisation almost as a milestone. Are we making progress towards this and making friends and, and alliances with people who have access to that data in order to to get, I suppose, to to understand and uh, recognise the measures that actually matter. Mm-hmm. Am I interpreting that, right? I think
1: that you're spot on. Um, You just described not only the mindset for measurement, um, but you also described the mindset for performance impact. Uh, Because at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, David, what we're looking for is movement to goal um, and the path Mm -hmm. that leads to that. So there are times where the path to movement to goal um, includes – a learning experience or a learning solution, right? And so in those instances where it does, we just want to be on that path uh, to uh, to goal, uh, to movement to goal. And we want to figure out along the way where are the where are the inputs, where are there the uh, where is there the evidence, where's where's the, the indicators that we are actually moving to goal right? And, and so it includes all those things that you talked about. Um, and the North Star is always, always, always the business goal, the organization goal, not the learning goal, not the learning objective. <laughs> the, yeah. the goal, the North Star is always, are we moving toward achievement of the organization of or business goals? So you described it very nicely and probably even better than I could have.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're being too kind. <laughs> yeah. So can you give us an example then, Kevin, of how this relates to an, an initiative that we'd recognise?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and so the goal that the organisation had was improving the quality of relationship between the uh, social workers um, and the families that they served. Uh, they wanted better relationships because those relationships uh, and the quality of those relationships was critical in terms of being able to serve uh, those communities and serve those people. So they identified specific and key behaviors uh, and actions that social workers needed to take. Um, And it also included ways in which they best practice ways to engage with families uh, and with children. Um, and so they were very clear about performance requirements in order to achieve that goal of uh, stellar quality um, between the social workers uh, and, and the families that they serve. And so we did go through the process of identifying where learning and professional development could impact that quality. Um, and where it couldn't. Again, we talked about that a little earlier, but you need to be clear about that first. So when we were able to identify where learning could impact Mm. that metric for quality, um, we were able to then create a learning solution where the expected learning outcomes would impact behavior and performance and actions that those social workers would take as they engage with families. So we had to come up with a way in which we could measure that. Um, and that's not easy, right? Because when you particularly particularly, talk about how people are engaging and building relationships, there's a lot that plays into that. Um, and learning is just a part of it. And so that's where those types of uh, measurements can feel mm-hmm. ambiguous and uncertain and unsure. Um, so one of the ways in which we were able to address that is to collect feedback um, specifically from families um, and and children on their experience with their their social worker. Um, And in that feedback, we were able to capture um, the way in which specific kinds of behaviors were observed for the social worker. Um, And those behaviors were part of the uh, learning experience and the the learning program that these so- social workers were part of. So they had to go through this program uh, to learn about those behaviors um, that were considered critical. Um, and then we could map those behaviors back to the extent to which they were actually showing up day to day as they did their work. So we were able to attach metrics to observance of behavior And we were able to attach metrics to um, the quality initiative because the extent to which those behaviors were showing up um, and and being used day to day ultimately impacted that quality metric. So so that would be an example of how we were able to uh, trace that back, if you will. But it's also another example of where um, it's not always easy um, to do that. Um, but again not easy does not mean not possible it just means that you really have to roll up your sleeves and, and use a little bit of elbow grease to do it yeah <laughs> but that would be you know, that would be an example yeah
0: great and i can imagine kevin there's no set scenario uh, and there are more ideal times to be invited into to the conversation than others but when do you as the data and metrics guy usually get involved is it at the start during after a program or or a It depends.
1: Yeah, yeah, it it does depend, David. So what I'll say is that ideally, um, before there's any conversation about learning, um, I'm inserted, right? Mm. I I, I like to be involved at the very beginning when we've identified that there is a condition in the organization or the business that needs to be addressed. Mm. Um, I like to be involved when we're first having conversations about business goals or organization goals. So ideally, uh, that is the best time to be inserted or to be part of those conversations because then we can go down that path that I described earlier where you're identifying the condition, the business goal, the performance requirements in response to that. And from there, you are able to determine if learning is a solution. And if it is, you can plan and design accordingly. Hmm. So that's the best time. Uh, for me to be a part of the discussion or for me to be inserted. But the reality is that there are times where um, the learning solution has already been launched. And then the question is, how do we measure impact? Um, Or there are times where the design process has already started. um, And the question is, how are we gonna measure this? So I'm I'm inserted at different parts of the uh, progression that leads to, you know, a learning solution already haven't been launched or not launched. But I will say, you know, again, David, that ideally um, the measurement journey is going to be most successful um, if I am part of the first conversations where we're talking about organization and business
0: goals. I completely agree. If you can be there right at the start, then you can you can influence. And you it, it almost challenges what we were talking about earlier on with the um, the solutioneering which is you know our stock in trade is is programs and e-learning so we're looking for ways to translate your real business and performance problem into a learning need so we can solve it with our stock in trade whereas what you're talking about there is if you could be right there at the outset and understand the the kpis the the measures that matter to the the organization then you can you can influence what is actually done and run any intervention. In I suppose, in a direct path towards affecting the KPI, rather than around the houses kind of way of, of trying to justify a, 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 a the the introduction of a training program. But I suppose that leads on to my my next question because. Kevin I've got a problem with the question did training work because it usually means we've taken a big bet to design, schedule and deliver training and we want to know if we were right when a better question as we've been discussing here is it seems that people are not able to do or achieve X, what's causing the problem and what's the best most efficient way of solving that problem. So I've got two questions to ask. Number one is can we and what's the best way to retrospectively look and consider whether that training did work? And secondly, how can we be better at bringing that data thinking to the front of the conversation and bringing our stakeholders with us to to change the way we think about data and measurement? Does that make sense?
1: It it does make sense. And and so I think the 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 answer to your first question is what can we be doing um, to answer that question? Um, I say always go back to performance. If we think mm. about if we think about the intent or the purpose of learning, um, it's it's always I believe it's always to impact people's performance. So mm. I believe that learning and development fulfills its highest purpose when it helps people use their performance in a way that helps them help the business win. and And so in that that purpose statement that I just shared with you, David, the focus is on performance. So you know, even in those instances where the learning solution has already been launched or it's always already in motion, ask the question, where are we seeing a change in people's performance as a result of a learning experience that they've had, right? And and then you may get some scary answers as a result of that. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the answers may be, we're not seeing a change in people's performance as a result of a learning solution or learning experience. Is that a, a bad thing? Uh, not necessarily, uh, because I would say use the response to that question did performance change in your favor because if it didn't change then stop what you're doing. I mean yeah. how simple is that right? So if you know that there is no result other than having to say we delivered the class, we delivered the course, um, if, if if that's the only thing that you're able to say um, then you need to stop and mm-hmm. you need to rethink. Not that we're bad people because it didn't work or because it didn't do anything. It just may mean that we need to go back and take a look at design. Um, We may need to go back and take a look at learning experience. Um, But again, if we can't gather or collect any evidence that shows that there's a, a change of performance or behavior as a result of a learning experience, then we need to stop, stop that experience because it's, it's, it's not a good, Um, It's not serving people well, right? and it's not serving the organization well. Um, And then in those instances where we can show evidence for change of behavior performance as a result of a training or a learning experience, then that informs decisions going forward about what we need to continue doing and how we can even leverage whatever it is that's working in that learning solution for other solutions as well. So how do we bring stakeholders along? Uh, It goes back to what I just said, right? So if learning development fulfills its highest purpose when it helps people use their performance in a way that helps them help the business win, then we bring our stakeholders along by showing them that we are focused on performance because more often than not, our stakeholders who are in the organization or the business are really keen and interested in knowing how our work is helping them achieve a goal achieve a stakeholder goal. And if we can demonstrate to them that, yes, we are changing performance, and yes, we are helping people help the business or the organization win with their performance, then I think that that brings them along with us. So it's those instances where we can't show to our stakeholders with measurement and data and facts and evidence that people's uh, capability is changing, that their actions are changing. If we can't show that to them, then they don't want to come along with us, right? Mm. <laughs> but when we can show them that we are impacting uh, performance and actions and capability, then you know they, they want to go on that journey with us.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And in a previous episode, uh, I was speaking with Tracy Waters at Sky, and she said the the best way to influence stakeholders is talk about what matters to them. Bring data to the table. They'll stop asking for... Um, for training courses and things that you know aren't the answer if you can show them that you understand their business problem and you're willing to work with them in order to solve it. Um, now, to, I've got a couple of questions um, just to, to before we wrap up, Kevin. And the, the first one's a little off script because um, building on what you've said there, a lot of learning and development functions will have calendars and schedules of programs. They include presentation skills, communication skills, uh, conflict resolution and all of that stuff. And because they run so regularly and because it's, it's largely the same content, can we expect to be measuring the impact of those in the same way as we've been discussing? Because it strikes me that... The, the conversation that we've had is when you've got a business problem that really needs solving and you've got an opportunity to, to dive within that. Whereas when it comes to what we might call core skill building and running those usual programs, for which, may I say, I think that there's even greater risk of there being no actual difference once somebody's attended, but it's seen as the right thing to do. Do we write those off Outside of the scope of what we're talking about, Kevin, or do we still hold ourselves account to whether those are fit for purpose beyond just solving uh, the problem of, of getting somebody onto something? So it seems as if they're progressing.
1: I love that question, David, and and I'll restate it. And if I'm restating it incorrectly, mm-hmm. I want you to correct me. But I think the essence of what you're asking is, do we need to measure everything? Is mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you're saying?
0: Yeah, and especially okay. especially when it comes to that that regular schedule which for yep. a lot of learning and development functions that's the bread and butter.
1: Yeah. So, here's what I believe about what we measure. I would first say I don't believe we need to measure everything. Uh, as controversial as that may sound. <laughs> but but here's why. Um I believe that there I, I believe that learning solutions and experiences need to meet three criteria for a full-blown impact analysis, right? So the first criteria is whether or not the learning solution is strategically and intentionally aligned to a business goal, right? The second thing is whether or not that learning solution or learning experience has high visibility in the organization or business, and by high visibility – I mean, you know, either it is something where we expect to impact a lot of people, or it has high visibility because an executive champion has kind of owned it. Um, And then the third thing is whether or not it's expensive. Okay. So again, what do I believe are the three criteria for a full-blown impact analysis? One, is it strategically tied to a business goal? Um, is it highly visible? Um, is number two, um, and then number three: Is it expensive um, to deliver um, in the business? So, if if a learning solution meets those three criteria, then I'm going to recommend that that learning solution or learning experience um, undergo a full-blown impact analysis. Because the reality, David, is that we don't have infinite resources and particularly on learning and development teams, there aren't a lot of people like me. And by me, uh, I mean the L&D professionals who are narrowly focused on measurement data and analytics. So it's all about scale um, and it's all about opportunity. So even if you have minimally one person on your L&D team who is committed to impact analysis and measurement data and analytics, he or she um, still only has, what, eight hours in a day, right? So if you think about Trying to measure everything um, is just not practical. Um, But if you, and and I was very deliberate with the number one criteria being strategically aligned to a business or organization goal. If you have a learning solution or learning experience that is aligned that way, then you definitely want to go through the process of measuring the extent to which that learning solution or experience is helping drive toward that goal. Um, There are some learning solutions and, ex- and experiences quite candidly that we, we are developing on our teams that, that are a tick the box. You know, I'll, I'll just be controversial and say it. Um, impact is not always the intent. You know, there are times where we are designing learning solutions where there is no intent for impact, where it really is um, a tick the box or it's just something that we have to do because of a regulation or a mandate or a requirement. I'm not saying if that that's good or bad. I'm just saying that that's the reality. So in those instances, I don't know that we want to go through the effort of measuring that because it's just something that we have to do. Um, but again, if we can identify something that is going to drive a business goal, uh, something that does have high visibility in the organization, and that has um you know a pretty hefty price tag to deliver then we want to go through the process of measuring impact of that did, did that answer your question
0: yeah absolutely I think it's a you, you provided a, a strong steer as well for for anybody who uh, is is embarking on uh, on on a project of measurement of the of their offering now Kevin there are going to be people listening to this who are keen to up their game as far as data and metrics is concerned if you would see and, and it's going to be um, Highly likely that they're going to have, be following the similar path as we discussed earlier through through mm-hmm. their journey and maybe reached a point in where they've realized this is a priority. So, what steps would you recommend that that the listener takes in order to up their game in data and metrics?
1: Yeah, I, I would say the, the first step is be curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, have uh, have a mindset for curiosity um, because a mindset for curiosity will extend beyond how many people did we train, Uh, how many courses did we offer, and how many people liked the class. Um, Mm -hmm. Curiosity says, I am keenly interested in discovering the extent to which what we're doing is actually changing something, or influencing something, or making something different. So I think that the very first thing that uh, someone who is just entering measurement data and analytics uh, needs to be successful is curiosity. I think that the second thing that that person needs is the ability to create relationships um, and to partner with experts who can fill in the gap between what that person knows about metrics, data and analytics, and what they don't. Um, Because the reality, David, is that we don't need to know everything about data and statistics and analytics and all that. And I'm a perfect example of that because, again, that's not my uh, core area of expertise. My core area of expertise is learning development. But over the years, I've acquired, acquired uh, acumen and aptitude for measurement data and analytics. But I've done that as a result of establishing relationships with experts in those areas. Um, mm-hmm. And then the third thing that I would recommend someone do, is to read as much as you possibly can about measurement, data, and analytics, specifically for learning and development. And there's so much out there in the public domain. There are articles, there are white papers, there's experts on LinkedIn, um, there are conferences, there are workshops, all of which are either solely focused on measurement, data, and analytics for L&D, or that have a track. Within the conference or the workshop, the program specifically for that. So, you know, I, I would say again, those three things that I would recommend someone do first and foremost, uh, be curious. Uh, secondly, establish relationships within your organization with people who have expertise in data, metrics, and analytics. And then thirdly, immerse yourself in what you can read about the topic. Um, and then, you know, also seek out those workshops and conferences that you can attend that will also build up your, your knowledge and your expertise.
0: Wonderful. Uh, and Kevin, you're prolific at sharing and publishing on social media. So if people want to follow your work or connect with you, how can they do so?
1: Yeah, and, and I'd love to share. <laughs> and and I, consu- I consider myself uh, a curator of, uh, of knowledge and information when it comes to metrics and analytics for L&D. So yes, you can certainly join me on LinkedIn, Kevin M. Yates. Uh, I am also very active on Twitter, uh, Kevin M. Yates. (laughs) And uh, I have a a Facebook page, uh, Kevin M. Yates as well. And if you want to get to know me a little personally, um, you can join me on Instagram as well. And then certainly I have a lot of good resources that are on my own personal website. So I would invite and encourage people to uh, visit my website at kevinmeats.com.
0: Wonderful. And Kevin will put links to those in the show notes. But all's left for me to say Kevin is thank you very much both for your time and your generosity in sharing your insights. Thank you for being a guest on the Learning and Development podcast.
1: This has been an awesome conversation David. Thank you for the invitation to talk to you today.